1 Peter chapter 4, uh, verses 12 through 19. Dear friends, do not, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to attest you as if something unusual were happening to you. Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. If you are ridiculed for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Let none of you suffer as murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let, them, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in having that name. For the time has come for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what would be the outcome be for those who disobey the gospel of God? And if a righteous person is saved with difficulty, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then what those who suffer according to God will entrust themselves to a faithful creator while doing what is good. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Carissa, for reading. This fall, we've been looking together at the letter of 1 Peter. 1 Peter is one of the most important places we can turn in Scripture to get the Bible's teaching on suffering. If you just do a simple word search on the word suffer or suffering, I didn't even do it until this past week. What you'll find is that in 1 Peter, he uses the words suffer or suffering two times more than any other book in the New Testament. And as we've said a couple times, it is remarkable that Peter is the one to write on this topic. Because Peter at one time believed that if you're following God's will, God will remove or he will greatly minimize your suffering in life. This issue is the one issue that he directly challenged. He rebuked Jesus on this point. He said to Jesus, you will never suffer. You're doing God's will. How could it be? And it's what led Peter to his lowest moment in his life when he denied Jesus three times, which was his own crisis of faith. So Peter, we know from his own story, he really, he really wrestled with reconciling two things, God's will and our suffering. Here at the end of his letter, if you look at verse 19, Peter shows us, after all his own personal wrestling with this, his own reflection and experience on these things, he shows us how we can reconcile these two things in a way that gives hope. So my title this morning, God's Will, Our Suffering, Question Mark. The question mark is in there because isn't this one of our major intellectual, emotional, and experiential questions that we have. The things that we wrestle with. If you're here and you're a Christian, you've wrestled with this. If you're here this morning and you're still exploring Christianity, I would guess this is one of the things 
that most troubles you? How do you reconcile God's will and our suffering? First Peter was written to people who were wondering, why would it be a part of God's will to allow my suffering? If I'm seeking and doing God's will, why would this bring suffering into my life? In fact, why would it bring more trials, more tests, and not less of all of those things? So Peter puts these two things together in verse 19. We've been looking at this letter for, I think, at least 11 weeks. And here in verse 19, it's a major summary statement in the entire letter. He's wrapping all of his thoughts up before he gets into his closing remarks in chapter 5. And what does he say? So then, or therefore, I think this so then and therefore means everything I've said, this is the summary, this is the therefore, this is where I've been headed. Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator while doing what is good. This morning, this will be part one of a two-part wrap-up of our study of this letter. We're going to revisit some things that we've already talked about as Peter is repeating some of these things and driving some of these things home. And I thought at the beginning of this week as I was wrestling with uh, which, which text to preach on, we have a few to choose from here at the end, I thought maybe this is just going to get repetitive for us. We've been talking a lot about suffering and struggle. But then I thought, no, we really need this. I really need this. We need to hear it again and again. One of the things that I believe we most need to hear, that I most need to hear living in a place like Orange County, a place that is built around the idea that we can find a way to avoid or control or fix or at least hide our suffering. We desperately need resources for when none of that works. Now, on a topic like suffering, what I hope to do this morning is help reconcile these two things, God's will and our suffering, but I'm not going to make any promises that I will fully and completely resolve all these things. But let's see the resources that Peter has to offer us here in this text. First, if you're following along and taking notes, there'll be some blanks that I'll fill in as we go. First, accepting. First, accepting. Don't let suffering surprise you. Look at verse 12. Peter says, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. This is the first step in reconciling God's will and our suffering. It's a hard one. It has to do with our thinking. It has to do with what we think and what we think is normal. You know, when we're mentally prepared for something, whatever that something is, when we're mentally prepared for it, it really can't surprise us. You know, if someone says to you, oh, I'm really excited about your surprise party that's coming up. Well, they just ruined the surprise. And it's no longer going to be a surprise. It's just a normal party. Peter is saying, here's how a Christian should prepare their mind for suffering. It's by thinking that the fiery ordeal is normal. But that's not how we think. 
when we say, I can't wait for things to get back to normal. When we say that, what we don't mean is, I can't wait for the next fiery ordeal to come about in my life. I can't wait for the next thing that is hard and difficult. No, we don't mean that at all. We mean, I can't wait until things get back to being comfortable and easy and predictable and manageable. Now, knowing trials are are normal does not mean they are not painful or hard. Peter doesn't say that at all. He calls it a fiery ordeal, a test. But he's actually trying to spare us unnecessary pain, more pain, more difficulty when trials do come. How so? Because... What can make our suffering even more painful and hard is if we believe that if we were just smart enough, that if we were just wealthy enough, if we had the right plan in place for our lives and do God's will just good enough, then we won't suffer. That God owes us a normal life on our terms. Peter says this is bad, bad thinking. This is bad theology. As one author said, understanding who God is, who we are, and God's ways in creation, providence, and redemption, at least as much as Scripture reveals to us, is to the trials of life what preparing for the LSAT is to the practice of law. Peter's saying we need to prepare our minds. We need to understand that suffering and brokenness is a normal part of living in a fallen and broken world. Accepting this is hard. But denial is worse. To say, this isn't happening, this isn't happening, this isn't happening, will make it all the more hard. Accepting this is hard, but entitlement is even worse. To say, I don't deserve this. This should not be happening to me. Accepting is hard, but disowning the faith is the most painful when we say to God, I won't believe in you because this is happening. Verse 12, at the beginning of this text, Peter says, dear friends. That's not just a throwaway term. That's him saying, friends, I have to say something to you that's really hard, but I love you. I'm saying a hard truth out of love to spare you more pain. What's happening to you is not unusual. You have to let go of the illusion of a suffering-proof life. You have to let go of the illusion and the expectation of a suffering-free life. God's will for you is actually something better. So don't let suffering surprise you. Acceptance is the beginning If we don't start with acceptance, it'll be hard for us to move into these other areas that we'll get into. But these other aspects also help us get to the place of acceptance. So everything we're going to talk about this morning, it all works together. Secondly, testing. Don't forget what suffering does. One of the core teachings of 1 Peter that we've been looking at in the rest of the New Testament is this. To become like Jesus... We must suffer like Jesus. Think about it. When you think about your own story, 
when you think about the stories of the people that you know. It helps us see what suffering does. Suffering is what makes us and shapes us into who we are, into what we are. That is what suffering does. How it shapes us depends on our response to it. We can become more soft and compassionate. We can become more kind. Or we can become more hard and bitter and angry. It's not so much about what we suffer, the things that we suffer, but how it is that we suffer. That in large part makes us into the people that we are. So in verse 13, Peter says, Instead of surprise... Rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ. We'll talk about the rejoice part in a minute. But I want to focus on the phrase, share in the sufferings of Christ. It says, suffer like Jesus. Now, some suffering results from us being outside of God's will, Peter says. That's verse 15. He says, this is, there's a kind of suffering that is a consequence of your choice. To do your own will. He says if you suffer as a murderer, thief, evildoer, meddler, you will suffer the consequences, the penalty for that. But, he says, some suffering results from being inside of God's will. These are the sufferings of Christ, who always lived his entire life at the very epicenter of the will of God, yet he suffered. Peter says this kind of suffering is what makes us more like Jesus, probably more than anything else in our lives. How so? It's through testing, he says. Suffering tests us. Now, the test is not a penalty, and it's not a punishment. Many of you, if you're in school right now, might have a hard time with that because you can only see a test as punishment as a penalty, but they are not. At our last diaconate training, I uh, busted out the study guide for the test. I was explaining to our uh, candidates for the diaconate, there's going to be a test. I was describing as a written test and an oral test, and all of a sudden, it got real serious. Everybody was pulling out their pens and getting quiet, like, what, the test? What's going to be on the test? How's it going to be? It was like game on at that moment. But I had to remind everybody, listen, remember what the test is for. A test is not for the teacher. A test is for the student, right? A test reveals where the student is. It shows the student what, what they have learned and what they still have left where they need to grow. Peter says the test of suffering is like a fiery ordeal. It's like an ordeal of fire. Earlier in chapter 1, he had used this image of fire before. He's bringing it back up. He says it's like gold that passes through a refining fire. Now that hurts, and it's painful. But passing through the fire reveals things about us, reveals to us things about God that we really couldn't see any other way, especially when we are just comfortable and our faith is unchallenged and untested. We learn about ourselves as putting gold to the fire causes the impurities to rise to the surface so they can be skimmed out. Our suffering has a way of revealing to us what my faith is actually and truly in. 
in a way we never really know unless we pass it through fire. When things that we trust in don't come through for us, our own self, our own plans, when our mixed up and wrong ideas about God bubble up into the surface and we realize the God that I had believed in wasn't even the real God. In all these ways, Peter says, our faith is made purer. Our faith is made stronger. And we see things about God we we can't see in any other way. We might know intellectually. We might be able to say, God is faithful. I believe that. God is strong. God is trustworthy. But we never really know it in our hearts until this belief is tested in some way. We can never know how faithful God is, really, unless we pass through the fire. This is what suffering does. Makes us the kind of person who can do, verse 19, entrust ourselves, our entire selves, everything to God because He is faithful. Now, in order for us to come to a place of acceptance, to make it through the testing that suffering causes us to pass through, we also need to talk about rejoicing. This is the third point. We also need to learn not to pit suffering against joy. You see what Peter does here? He puts them together in verse 13. Look at verse 13. He says, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ. And this is what often just blows our minds. How can this be? But he's not the only one to put these two things together. James puts these things together. In James chapter 1, he says, Consider it all joy when you suffer various trials. The Apostle Paul puts these things together. He says, We rejoice in our afflictions. Jesus, on the Sermon on the Mount, he puts these things together. He says, Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil things against you because of me. Rejoice. And be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, this could be a whole sermon unto itself, a whole sermon series. But let me offer a few thoughts on how we can learn not to pit suffering against joy. This is not saying take joy in the suffering itself. The joy that Peter is calling us to is a joy that comes from knowing how God transforms and turns suffering to glory. Look at verse 13. It says, Rejoice in the sufferings of Christ so that you may rejoice with great joy when His glory is revealed. If you are ridiculed for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Joy comes from knowing how God transforms and turns the tables on our suffering to bring about glory, Peter says. So we can rejoice. When suffering comes our way, Peter says we can say this. This suffering is bringing about glory. What is glory? It's something beautiful, something that has splendor, something magnificent. Somehow something beautiful, something with great splendor, something with great magnificence is being brought about and becoming greater because of this suffering. Peter says that can bring us joy no matter what. And now Peter's been giving us this insight throughout the entire letter. 
He's been saying to us, don't you see, this is what the narrative of the whole Bible is all about, suffering to glory. Not glory in spite of suffering, but glory that comes about through suffering. God is turning the tables on suffering to bring about a greater glory to himself and those who entrust their lives to him. Peter says, this is the story. George Matheson was a Scottish pastor back in the 1800s. He was born with really poor eyesight, and eventually he just he lost all his eyesight, and he went blind. In a sermon that he preached long ago, he said, this is our first reflection quote in the bulletin, he said, there is a time coming in which your glory shall consist in the very thing which now constitutes your pain. And then what he does in this sermon is he traces this theme throughout the whole Bible. He says this. He says, go throughout the Bible and ask the heroes of faith about the most glorious place in their story. He says, Jacob will show you the stone he slept on in the desert. Abraham will take you to Mount Moriah. Moses will show you the Nile where he floated as a baby. Joseph will take you into the dungeon, Ruth into the fields of her labor, David into his dark nights, Job into the whirlwind, Peter into the storm, John who was exiled on Patmos, Paul, the apostle, where he was lying blind on the road, helpless. And he says, Jesus will take you to Gethsemane and say, here is my crown of glory. This is the story of the scriptures from beginning to end. Last week I was with a number of people, a number of pastors actually, and one of the pastors was encouraging us by challenging us with a question. He says, some of you have, have shared some really hard things going on in your life right now. And he said, what's the narrative you're using What's the narrative you're telling yourself about those hard things, that suffering, those trials? Because we all tell ourselves some kind of story. Well, this is where it happened. This is what's going on. This is where it's going. We might say, this is a story about my failure. This is a story about struggle. This is a story about my guilt. This is a story about my shame. This is a story about how my life is not turning out the way I hope it would. Peter is saying, you're missing the narrative of the gospel. That joy can seek us through pain because Jesus' greatest glory was his place of greatest suffering. In the cross, Jesus turned the tables on suffering, on evil, and on struggle. And this is the story of all those who trust in him. In one of George Matheson's most painful moments, the hymn writer, he, he was a hymn writer as well as a pastor, he wrote the hymn we sang a little while ago, O oh, joy that seekest me through pain, I cannot close my heart to thee. 
I trace the rainbow through the rain and feel the promise is not vain. That morn shall tearless be. He's telling the narrative, the gospel narrative, and he's applying it to his own suffering. Review. Accepting, testing, rejoicing. There's one more. There's one more thing we need to reconcile God's will and our suffering. It's the most fundamental thing that all of the other three are built on. It makes the other three possible. This is where Peter takes us, to entrusting. He says, don't lose sight of the most difficult suffering of all. Look at verses 17 and 18. At first, it doesn't sound very comforting to us, what he says here. He says, the time has come for judgment to begin with God's household. He's talking about the church. He's talking about the visible church. And what Peter is saying is that suffering sorts out in the church those who are really Christians from those who are not. He's saying there's a sorting out that happens. Those who are coming to Jesus for Jesus and those who come to Jesus for what they can get from Jesus. Suffering sorts that out. Those who come to Jesus for the life that he wants for them and those who come to Jesus to get the life they want from him. He's saying suffering is sorting all that out. Suffering is is how God shows us where we are. If we really understand the gospel or if, in Peter's words here, we're disobeying the gospel of God. He says, think about these two things here in verses 17 and 18. First, verse 18, this is a a hard text here. What What is Peter getting at? I think he's getting at this. Think about how difficult it is. For God to save you. This is a sign that we get the gospel. A true Christian says, the most difficult thing in the world is for me to be saved. That's the most astounding and most difficult thing I could think of in the world, for me to be saved because of how strong my selfish will is that resists God because of how great my sin is. He says, think about that. Think about how difficult it is. Do you feel that? Do you sense that? And then he says, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? What will become? Peter knows that he's already given us the answer to that question because the cross is the answer. The cross is what would become of us if not for the most difficult Suffering of all, the suffering of Jesus. As Peter says in chapter 2, 23, Jesus entrusted himself, all of himself to God's will, bearing our sins, being wounded, suffering for us to save us from our greatest suffering. The greatest suffering of living outside of God's will. Jesus prayed, not my will, but yours. That was his most glorious moment for him and for us. God's will was his suffering would be the most difficult suffering of all. Here's the logic. We're going to close in just a moment, so stay with me on this logic. If God's will 
is to use the most difficult suffering, the most difficult thing in the world to bring about the greatest good, the greatest glory, then I can trust Him to do the less difficult thing of carrying me through my suffering, of using my suffering for His good. Do you see the logic? God has already done the most difficult thing by suffering the most greatest suffering of all for us so he can and he will and he will be faithful and can be trusted to carry us through our difficulties, which are real and difficult, but not as difficult as what Jesus has already done for us. So I can trust him that if his will allows suffering to come, it's a part of saving me from an even greater suffering life outside of his will. So here Peter is saying, here's how these two things come together. God's will and our suffering can only be reconciled when we understand the cross as the greatest suffering of all and our greatest hope. Two final thoughts to close. Peter says in verse 19, here's the main point of this whole letter, that we would learn this. When we suffer according to God's will, we would entrust ourselves to a faithful creator while doing what is good. There are two things. This is my main application here. Just one final thought. There are two things that reveal the glory of God more than anything else. That reveal God's glory through us and in us. Because they are only possible if the gospel is true. They are only possible by the work of the Holy Spirit. And this, these are the two things. One, when we're able to entrust everything we are to God when we suffer. And two, when we continue to do good to others even when we're suffering. That when we're suffering ourselves, somehow we're thinking about others. That they might know God. That they might taste His goodness. Peter says, this can only come about as we learn to entrust everything we are to God, no matter what is happening. And friends, dear friends, he is faithful. You can trust him. Let's go to him in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that we can trust you, that you have shown us and as you're about to show us as we come to your table. Not only do you understand and know what it is to suffer, not only was your suffering in our behalf even greater than anything we will ever suffer in this life, but your suffering is the proof that you are faithful in your love to us. Our Father, I pray for all of us that as we let these words sink in and as we come to your table, that whatever it is where we're struggling, where we're suffering, whatever it is that might be right now a fiery ordeal of fire for us, that you would meet us there, that you would fulfill your promise that your presence is with us in the flames and in the fire. 
and that you would help us grab a hold with faith to the story that might even give us joy that you are working something we can't even fathom, something so beautiful, something with such great splendor and magnificence that would just blow us away if we would know. Thank you that we can trust you. And I pray right now that you would give us the extra grace and the blessing of your spirit to be able to do that as we come to your table. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.